you're anything like me, you are in that same category that you're actually wondering what is real and what isn't real. Who is real and who isn't real? It seems like there are very few real relationships today. I mean, honest to goodness, genuine, real relationships. I've shared it many times, but when I was about 25 years old, my wife's father, who was a pastor and just a really super godly man, on a Saturday morning I had gotten up, they were visiting with us, staying at our home. I'd gotten up and went downstairs to pray because I was kind of perplexed about things that were going on in my life and wondering, where is God and what is really going down and is there anyone that is a real friend today? And I didn't even know he had entered the room and he stepped down and he came down beside me and got down on his knees and he, I told him, I said, I'm really perplexed about relationships these days. It seems like people are there and then they're not there. They're your friends and then they're not your friend. You're on their Facebook page and then you're not on their Facebook page. It seems like there are so many people that don't even understand what it is to be a true friend. And my, my dad, my father-in-law, put his arm on my back and he said, you're young, you should learn this early on. You will not have very many true friends in life. If you find one, hang on with everything that you have. If there's one bit of advice that I could give to everyone at my age now, it would be this. Not everyone is your friend. Hang on to the one who really is. And this week I Facebooked some of my thoughts. I've been kind of Facebooking more of the things that I've been thinking about. And I, I was talking on my Facebook page about the fact that there are very few friends and that I was preaching this Sunday on three chairs, three chairs of relationships. And I said, it seems to me that the phrase that epitomizes our culture today is, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Have you ever noticed how when people who supposedly loved you and they thought you were the greatest thing since candy, when those people leave your life, they don't just leave. It's a lot like a divorce. I, year, I learned years ago in counseling with married couples that it seems like when a person goes through divorce, they're not happy to just leave the other person. They have to destroy the other person. They actually have to convince themselves that they should hate their partner that they walked down an aisle one day with and said, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, I'm, I'm sticking with this relationship. I want you to ask yourself the question this morning as I speak on this topic of the three chairs. Which chair do I sit in? Chair number one, two, or three? Because as most of us think about relationships, we really don't have a clue what it is to be a true friend. If you looked at the Bible, right off the bat, you'd, ask, you'd have to ask yourself, what is real? And I would like to point out something to everyone here this morning. It is a dangerous thing to look at too much material that might influence you in a way that contradicts the word of God. Be careful. Years ago, I got online because I was convinced that it seemed really, really super mean that God would send anyone to hell. And so I decided I'm just going to take matters in my hands. I'm just going to look online and read everything I can about hell. And after hours of reading, I found myself questioning 
whether anyone could go to hell. It seemed to be categorically almost the antithesis of what the Bible says, that there is a real heaven and a real hell, that God would never send anyone to hell. But ladies and gentlemen, God doesn't send people to hell. We send ourselves there. We have a choice every day to believe whether there's a God or not. You have a choice to believe what you read online, what you allow other people to tell you, whether you think it's true or not. And you can say all you want until you're blue in the face that it's true. It has to be true because so-and-so said it or this book said it or that thing said it. And I think the devil is real. Yes, he is real. We have some friends that are attending our church and she is having surgery tomorrow and Tuesday on her eyes. And it's very serious. So we were out for dinner with them and another couple last night. And at the end of it all, I just said, before we leave the van, let's actually pray that God will supernaturally intervene in her world as the surgeons go in to keep her eyesight. It works. It does. Faith brings sight. You know, when we trust God that he's good, he's good all the time, that means even in the middle of the bad things that God is still good. Amen? He is. So what is real is a question that goes through my mind quite often. If you were to go to back to the Old Testament, a lot of people don't like the Old Testament, and I love the Old Testament. You would find that in the Old Testament, as the children of Israel, by the, a couple million of them, left Egypt and, and fled Pharaoh's army. And you know the stories how how the waters were parted and they went across on the dry ground and all that. As soon as they got over there, they realized that worship of God was a very, very important thing. Worshiping God was Jehovah God, their God, the God of the Hebrew people, was a very important thing. So what they did was, when they fled Egypt, if you read the Bible, you're going to find out that their masters gave them going away gifts, gold and fabric, and all kinds of things. And they knew that they were under the protection of God, so they got out of there as fast as they could with their riches. But when they got into the wilderness, they needed a place to worship God. I stand here today, having been in church work for 43 years, knowing that even this facility is a gift from God. A lady owned this, and it had been a tractor supply, and she came to the conclusion one day that she would sell it. It was that very week to the day almost that she made the decision, and we came over and came in the end garage doors here into this garage that had semis in it and oil everywhere, and the ceiling was black and blah, 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 blah. And I just thought to myself, what an awesome place to have church. You know that people come here all the time during the week, and we show them around and stuff. There was a couple this week that came uh, with wanting, desirous of renting a place for their, their daughter, their son's graduation party, and looked around. And I said, I think it's funny because we usually bring them down the hallway here, and when they get to those two sets of doors there, most people don't expect that there's something beyond that. And then we open the door and say, this is where we worship, and they're like, oh, my goodness. I still say, oh, my goodness, every day. I'm saying, oh, my goodness, today, because I have life and health, health alone. I asked the praise band this morning, I said, think of something extraordinary that God has done 
that you want to give thanks to God for today. I got a million of them. You should too. You got a spouse that loves you, you should give thanks. You have kids that rise up and call you blessed and they love you, you should give thanks. If you lived another year, you should give thanks. If you don't have cancer or some other kind of illness, you should give thanks. Because God is, I'm telling you, God is amazingly good. As we prayed in the, in the van last night for Jessica and her surgeries tomorrow on Tuesday, I, I say this as I said it in Vietnam just weeks ago. It's like God opens a hole in heaven and brings down a beam of light and healing. Somebody in the room today is seeking the will of God. Not just one person. A bunch of people are seeking the will of God. My wife and I this week have been trying to decide what our future holds and where we were going in our pattern of life. And both her and I have come to this conclusion. God knows everything about you. He knows all your needs. All you have to do is love him and his will will fall in your lap. You, be, you believe that? So there are, if you went back to the Old Testament tabernacle, it mimicked the temple where people worshiped. And there were three sections, three areas of the tabernacle. The first one was the outer court. This chair represents the outer court of the tabernacle. If I had a picture to put on the, on the screen today, it would be like this. You walk in this massive tent that was made out of the fabric that the Egyptians gave to their servants as they fled from Egypt. The rings that held the fabric up on the frame all the way around the tabernacle were the gold pieces that were given to them as a going away gift that they melted down and made into gold rings. Inside, inside the, the tent, the tabernacle, there were several things that were made out of gold as people sacrificed in their worship of God. The outer court, I'll speak about in a moment. And then there was an inner court, which is symbolic of our relationships, if I can get my hand on it here. Inner court. You got to remember these three. And the last place was a place that was for the, the, holy, the holy priest himself, the priest that offered the sacrifices to God when he came down once a year on the Day of Atonement. So here we are. We're standing, looking inside of this massive tent, and we're looking at this area over here where the average everyday person could come and offer up sacrifices for their sin. It's pretty gross and gory today. I'm sure Peter would have been standing outside with signs. Don't kill the chickens. I noticed in my refrigerator this week, my wife had spent more money on eggs. Cage-free eggs. You don't want to buy those caged eggs. You want cage-free eggs. We're ridiculously spoiled. If you go to Vietnam, they'll eat anything, including the cage. We're so spoiled. So if you entered the tabernacle, you would notice there's a plate to, place to offer sacrifices. That was actually for the average person. If you went further and, and you, you wanted to get beyond just the normal, I believe in God thing, you went into the inner court. This is the place where the person went beyond just offering a sacrifice and actually wanted to have a relationship with God. The place of koinonia, which means fellowship. 
It was a place of fellowship. And then this place here, the Holy of Holies, this chair represents the place that actually means total 1,000% dedication to God. I'm going to compare this to friends today. You have the outer court friends. They're the people that see you face to face and fake it. I actually hate you, but hi, how are you today? And then you go, fine, you're looking nice. She looks terrible. This is the inner court area where it's a friend that has gotten beyond all that surface garbage and managed somehow to interact with you. It may be your neighbor, it may be a person at work, it could be someone at church that just gets into your life in a different way. They literally are not just facing you, but they actually want to be friends with you. And most of us have numerous people like the inner court people. They go beyond just the typical sacrificial, okay, everything's good between us, I love you, garbage. That means nothing. There are some people, very, very few, who sit in this chair. And by the way, I got these three chairs. I actually got six chairs at the estate auction, which is once a month over here. You should not go because then you'll take stuff that I want. I got six of these chairs for 50 bucks. Two of them have arms on it. It's really cool, and we just painted, spray painted them. You know me at all? I'm a bargain hunter. Bought four vacuums this week. Because two people in our church, when they saw one of the vacuums I bought, they said, I need a vacuum. Where'd you get that? I bought Irene Vanderby a vacuum. She makes awesome sweet rolls and stuff for us. I thought, she said she needed a new vacuum. Irene, when I tried it to see if it worked, it was spitting everything out. So I hope it works for you. <laughs> I think it's pretty good, actually. It was almost new. By the way, on Thursday, it's the price that's marked on the stuff, the junk. On Friday, it's all half price. We gave away our mattress to Lucas a long time ago off the tw twin bed for my daughter's old room. Never got it back, and I really didn't want it back because I don't know what will be on the mattress. But <laughs> love you anyway, Lucas. <laughs> Somebody's offended already now. That's offensive, Pastor. You shouldn't say that. I got a mattress and a box spring. For 30 bucks, like brand new. Don't go. Don't go. Okay, I got hung up on that. Now I'm lost. The Holy of Holies is a place you really don't want to go unless you are living the right way. There's a huge curtain that was made in front of the Holy of Holies that separated everyone from being able to get in there because on the Day of Atonement, once a year, God came down as a spirit and entered the Ark of the Covenant, which was sacred, made out of gold. And that's where he dwelt for that day. And that was the day that the priest had prepared for all year to go in and offer sacrifices for sin. And it was a dangerous thing because he actually picked up the curtain crawled underneath the curtain in his robe with bells on it to offer the sacrifices, and people would listen to see if he was still alive. If the bells stopped ringing, they knew there must have been sin in his life. I'll get to that a little more in just a few moments. But I wanted you to understand where I'm going with this. The outer court is for workers. The inner court is for associations. And the Holy of Holies 
is personal. It's a personal encounter that you have. There's, there's someone in your life that has become sacred to you, has stuck with you no matter what. They've got your back. That's this person. People could say they do, but in reality, they don't. And so this morning, I want, to, I want to clarify it in this way. These are hirelings. These are servants. And these, which there are not very many, are friends. You're bored already. You're either a hireling, a servant, or a friend. You will fall into one of these categories. You must ask yourself, where do I fit? Who am I? And then you have to ask yourself this question, who should I let into my life? Who do I want to allow to influence me, my marriage, my kids, my life? Who should I let into my life? And the first chair talks about the hireling. Listen to what the scripture says. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand or the hireling is not the shepherd who does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. These kind of people are going to run. The minute they're unhappy with something. The minute you disappointment or disappoint them, the minute in some way you fail to live up to what they expected. I'd like to say this about marriage. Marriage is a long obedience in the same direction. When you take your vows, and by the way, you take vows, I am happy to say this this morning, that we've had uh, several couples in our church that are living together because the culture tells us it's okay, just live together, experiment together, and see whether you want to be in this relationship or not. I say you will never know whether you love someone as long as you're having sex with them prior to marriage. You won't know. Sex will lie to you and say, oh, I'm just so fond of them. When in reality, it, it is driving you and drawing you to them. The hired hand, the hireling knows nothing of a long obedience. As soon as the wolf comes, they're out. The Greek word for hired hand or hireling found here in John 10, 12 is misthotos. It means a wage earner. It doesn't take very long to find out if you're a business owner who's with you and who's not with you. It doesn't take long at all. You'll find out because they demand. They're always making demands. They always think they're worth more than they really are. We have this concept in our mind that you're lucky to have me, God. It all sounds great on the surface. It's all fluff. Oh, praise God today. But the minute it gets tough, they're gone. They're on a different road. They're out of there. I would call them relationship hoppers. It is someone who travels from relationship to relationship, from job to job, looking for better opportunities to advance themselves. Listen, I would say this this morning. If you tell me you can't find a job, I will tell you there is something wrong with your thinking. There are jobs everywhere. Everywhere you, I don't want to work in, at McDonald's. I don't want to do this. I don't want to, you don't want to work is the problem. You just don't want to work. Because if you wanted to work, you'd go down here and get a job. God would send you a job. There are everywhere 
We live in the most prosperous time of this nation. This kind of person, the hireling, always promises they'll be with you, but as soon as they get hurt or offended, they are gone. I've watched this mentality all the way through my years. I kind of write it this way myself. If you pay, I will play and I will stay, but if you don't, I'm on my way. If you pay, and I will play and I will stay, but if you don't, I'm on my way. That's the way it is in relationships and marriages and everything else. If you think for one second that marriage is easy, you're wrong. It takes work. People write to me even this week, I don't know what to do. I just feel like I just don't know what to do in my marriage. And I say this, love your spouse like crazy. Oh, yeah. Even right now, if you think about it, you are extremely blessed to have somebody that loves you. Are you not? If you're sitting next to your spouse, you should look at them right now and say, I love you like crazy. Can you do that? No. This is, what, this is what I see going on in the room. I'm not making this up. This is what I see going on. Love you like crazy, honey. Love you like crazy. You're a babe. Yeah, sure. Love you like crazy, honey. My wife stood up and said, I love you. She's awesome. She is. No, 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 seriously, you don't have to sit and think very long to realize how blessed you are. We talk about cage-free eggs, and I think to myself, I just came back from a place where the, I grew up on a farm where the people live in shacks worse than our chicken house. And they're happy. They're actually happy. Because they know they're a blessed to be alive. Jesus actually lived in a certain set of relationship principles. These are not original with me. These are from Tim Holliday who worked for um, Warren, Rick Warren. Relationship number one is place the highest value on relationships because Jesus said the most important command is this. Listen, people of Israel, the Lord our God is the only God or the only Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second command is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is are no commands more important than these? Yeah. Relationship number two principle is love as Jesus loves you. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Relationship principle number three, communicate from the heart at all times. You know what we do? I'm sick of you. I'm, I'm, a, I'm blocking you. Yeah? Okay. I, I, seriously, I'm curious how many people... Because there's a lot of Facebookers in here that Facebook all the time. And they're like, well, she blocked me. That witch. And, and she actually used to be a close friend. She, what in the heck did I do? You ever find yourself looking to see how many people like your stuff? And you've, you've notched them up now to servants? To see. They, they went from over here. Over here to over here. Okay, I guarantee if you're visiting, you're thinking, this guy's a flake. It's supposed to be boring. It's not going to be boring. The other part might be true, but it's not going to be boring. You notch people up according to what compliments they make to you or what things they give you or that they don't disappoint you. But in reality, that's not at all like it is because in marriage, it's not always going to be that way. 
It's not always going to be perfect. You stay with someone because they stayed with you. You will grow in your love. I promise you. You will grow as the years go by. Your love will grow. Relationship principle number four. As you judge, you will be judged. Do not judge or you will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And the measure you use it will be measured to you. And relationship principle number five is the greatest are the servants. The greatest among you will be your servant. The people that you want to be around will be the ones that have no problem serving you. And that don't expect you to be perfect. Am I right? It's kind of hard to be mean to somebody. When we were in Vietnam, um, Ryan Pritchard said to me, yeah, I'm texting Dirk. Dirk gets talked about a lot of my messages. He said, I'm texting Dirk. Uh, and, and he said, he's one of my best friends. And I said, well, he's one of my best friends too. That isn't even fair. No, the, the problem is this. When someone smiles all the time like he does and is actually cordial and actually doesn't stab everybody in the back, everybody wants to be their friend. There's a shortage of that today. Is there not? Are you a real friend? Friends don't run from their relationships. Friends aren't looking for a reason to disqualify you, to block you or alienate you. They're looking for every way that they could possibly restore the relationship. That's what friends are. That's what they do. So relationship number six is treat others as you want to be treated. This is what I think is the problem. Some of us have just not stayed with God long enough to know that he's good at changing things. I was counseling with some people this week and their mother, and the mother said to me, it's going to take a miracle for that marriage to stay together. And I texted back and said, and God is amazing at working miracles. You, you agree with me? All right, get a little Pentecostal here. Woo! How about a little charismatic? How about throwing up your arms, flailing in the seat, and just go, oh, Jesus. There you go. Okay. That will drive all the visitors away. Promise. So the second chair is the servant. How is this person different from the hireling? A businessman was once asked his Bible study group, how can you tell if a servant, how can you tell if you have a servant attitude? How do you know? If you are the servant person in the room and have the servant attitude. And the answer was, by the way you react when you're treated like one. Yes, by the way you react when you are treated like a servant. And I would go further and say this, because I still lead the praise band. My wife and I have a degree in music, so we've been doing this forever, and we're just so stubborn. We don't want to quit because we love it. And it's passing down to our kids. My son Josiah is downstairs. Um, he loves sports, and he loves music. And so when I'm in praise band, I'm ripping on these guys to get better. Am I not? My, my granddaughter just screamed. She's going to be Pentecostal. I can tell. Some of you are looking up here like, you're goofy, Pastor. But when I'm telling everybody what to do up here, I'm not telling them what to do because I want to make them worse. 
I'm telling them what to do because I want to help them to get better. The problem with today is this. Everybody wants real. What's real? We just want real. We want a real pastor. And we've heard all these things. And we want a real friend. And we want a real wife. And we want a real husband. And the fact of the matter is, it is hard to tell what's real today and what isn't real. It's very difficult to tell what's real and what's not real. And I want to help you do that. There is a difference between the servant and the hireling. Big difference. The servant serves his master either voluntarily or by force. Mm-hmm. You can tell when somebody loves you and how they respond to what you say to them. You can tell. Are they doing what they're doing out of sheer duty and obligation, or are they doing it actually hoping to bless someone else? The scripture says, who then is faithful and a wise servant? whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his own household to give them their food in the proper time. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he comes back. You know how the, the test of who the real servant is? They're doing it no matter whether anybody wants, knows about it or not. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. When I came back to the church yesterday morning, Vince was back from his long sabbatical away from us because he doesn't love us that much anymore or because they went down south where it's warmer and I sometimes wish I was because I'm old too but they came back I drove up to the church and he was out there working picking up trash on uh, in the place and cutting back plants and everything else and no one would know that except I told you I guarantee you this he got blessed yes he did he got blessed because he had the servant attitude. I was reading some interesting things about business today and leadership models. Could you be a boss? Could you rise to a leadership level in the place that you are? Because that is, to me, the person that rises to leadership is always the person who is the servant. But that is not what we've been taught. And I'm going to skip over reading all my notes because I was researching online. The fact of the matter is it used to be a pyramidal-style leadership like this. The leaders up here were separated from all the people who they employed. And I honestly believe this, that our guys have gone to college and, and gotten MBAs, masters in business, and businesses don't want them because they have not understood servant leadership. They don't even care if you have a master's anymore. I'm telling you, this is a fact. And by the way, the servants are coming up missing these days. I'm not working there unless you give me $18 an hour. You want your burgers at McDonald's to be $50? Nowadays, you go in there and they're like, you want something? You stand there because you want something? What's up? Hurry up, I'm tired. I'm not kidding. You know this is true. I think the whole leadership model is inverted to where it's like this now. Turn this thing around. You want people to follow, serve. Serve. 
Don't demand. Don't tell everybody, I'm not doing this unless I get paid. Our kids nowadays, they have, I'll carry that cup of coffee out. Car, wait a second. I said, I'm, I'm telling, wait a second, Mom, what am I telling? I'll carry that cup of coffee to the car if you pay me. I'll pay you. Yeah. Traditional style of leadership is changing whether we like it or not. The Industrial Revolution brought us the ideas where hierarchies were the norm, where it was top-down leadership. You follow the rule of this leader instead of serving them. And I think that has to change. Jesus' example was this, I'm here for you, let me serve you. Let me carry your load. Let me help you with your marriage. Let me take the day off and just help you instead of the other way around. So a lot of businesses are not interested in having these um, people that expect too much. There were three primary areas of as a tabernacle, as I mentioned to you, and, and the Jewish temple. And the outer court, the inner court, and the holy of holies, but only the, the, the hired hand type person was only allowed in this first spot. So you come in the tabernacle, they did their duty because they did believe in God, and they believed it was their duty to, to do something, and so they went and offered their sacrifices. This is a lot of people that are in the room today. You're watching your watch, and if I don't make this an hour and 14 minutes, you would never come back here. It's like, that guy's just so long-winded, he could have cut a lot of that stuff out of there. You're the hireling, believe it or not. Someday I think we'll regret that because God is real, heaven is real, and hell is real. And the Bible doesn't say this for no reason at all. Don't lay up all your treasures down here. Invest in eternity. Yes? So the people that get into this area are the ones that are like, you know what, I'm just, I'm, I'm getting tired of just offering my sacrifices. That's a bloody mess. I'm just sick of that. I want something more. Let me go further into the tabernacle and, and, and get into the inner court. Once you start serving, you build relationships. Yes, this is something new with me. In the last several months, I've told our staff, this is what we're going to do every week. We're going to further serve the people by finding out where they work, take something to their work, take a coffee, take a donut, take a blah, 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 blah. I found a cheesecake at Walmart that had been 15 bucks. It was marked down to $3.99, and it said Denhoff's all over it. I peeled off the $3.99 thing. I'm a bargain hunter. And I'm sure they thought it was like 15 bucks. Did you guys eat it yet? Partly God. As we handed it from my car to their car last night, we were thinking, that will probably be gone tonight. I didn't buy that because I wanted them to love me. I bought it because I love them. And in return, guess what I get? I get loved. You know this is true. I look for people who are loving because I need love. These are the fellowship people, koinonia. They dared get further involved in the church to see 
what might be there that they could do because they needed to be blessed themselves. You know the reason why I wanted to buy that vacuum for Irene? Because I really like her. She's funny. She makes amazing Mexican food. Not kidding. Like huge quantities. And, and she comes and helps make the sweet rolls over there. And she happened to be here that day when I said, man, look at this Kirby vacuum I got at the auction. Kirby's are amazing. They're, this thing was like 30 bucks. My wife paid like 2500 for ours when I was away one day. Not kidding. Kirby guy comes to our door and she calls me a little lady. When you get home today, hope you had a nice day. So when you get home today, just tell me, how much did it cost? <laughs> so when I see a Kirby vacuum cleaner over there at the auction, it means a lot more to me because of what I've already paid. I want to be loved. You want to be loved. 1 Corinthians 3 says, if what he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If it's burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as through the flames. Do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? This person here comes to the realization that God wants them, that their body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that they should go beyond this just offering your sacrifice. You'll get into heaven here if you believe in Jesus Christ and have made this commitment to him and have accepted what he did on the cross. You'll get into heaven, but this person over here is going to actually have some rewards because they've served and they've enjoyed God and they've had fellowship. John 15 says that there is one weakness in being a servant. One, only one. I had to think about this for a while. There's one weakness in being a servant. It says, you are my friends if. I don't like that. I just want to be a friend unconditionally. You are my friends if you do what I command. There is a stipulation. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from the Father I have made known to you. Now, I got to say this. Even this person will quit and split. Out of your life, gone. They're not even looking at me right now. Because all they think about is themselves. Everything's a business deal. Everything in life is a business deal. I'm not giving my time if I don't get paid. I'm not doing that anymore. People take granted of me. I'm not doing that because being a pastor, you might get called at 1045 at night. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm done with this. And God says, that is not a friend. How do I get there? How do I get in that chair to be the friend? That's the third chair. It says in John 15 that you can't just be servants. You have to understand this. You must keep my commandments. That's the stipulation on being a true friend of God. See, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. That almost seemed unfair. But I want to tell you something, that something happened, and we celebrated in just a couple weeks at church. On Easter Sunday, by the way, we're going to have two morning services you need to buy, get a ticket today. You don't have to buy them. They're free. But we're doing a special kind of a musical thing with some acting and stuff in it. Easter Sunday, it's a one-hour service. You can come to 9 or 11. Invite your friends to come. They won't be sorry they did. But the Greek word for friends is philos, Philadelphia, the place of love. Philos. It's a Greek word commonly translated as love and refers to someone who is 
greatly beloved. A friend in this context is not just a common acquaintance as, as when we use the phrase, this is a friend of mine. A friend goes far beyond that. This person is somebody that you not only love, but you let be privy to private information in your life because you trust them. You have come to the conclusion with this person, they will not betray me. They will not turn against me. They will not leave me when the going gets tough. They won't say they love me, but never contact me, never answer me, never write to me, not respond. I, I don't even understand that mentality. But that is the mentality of our day and age. I don't, need to, I don't need to talk to you if I don't want to. I don't need to answer you. You need to just sit and wait on me. And I think they're not a friend. Some of you are shaking your head yes because you know what I'm talking about. Do you even know how to be a friend? Seriously, do yourself a huge favor. Start serving so that you can prove that you love them no matter what. What happens if your spouse gets really sick and they can't work anymore and they sit at home? You need to ask yourself the question, who is going to take care of me? Hopefully you'll have someone who loves you enough to do it. They get in your private world. There are some people, I guarantee you, you do not want that person in your private world because down the road, listen to me, down the road, they're going to use private information to destroy you. You don't want them in your life. You don't want them in your church. You don't want them in your business. They are loyal to only number one. Number one is themselves. This person hopefully has gotten beyond that through servanthood. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. I know my time is finished in just a few minutes, but I, I need you to understand this. There should not be a single person, not even one, in the entire world that we would not talk to this very moment. Yes? Yes? There should not be a single person who you'd be so mean as to say, I'm not even answering them. Do you have any idea what that does to a person when they try to talk to you because they love you and you don't respond? What has happened to our marriages? What has happened with our kids that they won't even talk to us? Who does that to your spouse? I've experienced it this week, trying to help some people who said they love each other, but there is no indication they're not even talking to each other. And when you sit with them and try to get them to, to communicate with each other, it becomes violent almost. And I say this because I've counseled hundreds of marriages. It won't last unless there's a drastic change. Your marriage will not survive unless there's a drastic change. You have to be able to talk to each other civil. Do you think that we know enough about each other in marriage that we could certainly find a way to split? Because we could. Very few people will get into this spot. I have one of them. My wife and I have one for certain. That we're absolutely certain of because it's proved itself over 30, 30 years. I worked in a church in Ohio for nine years. My secretary and her husband were the most loyal, loving people that even when we left the church, they came to see us quite often. And I found it interesting that when I was preparing this week for this very message about friends and I, I Facebooked some stuff, my secretary wrote back to me and said, you're that person. You are a true friend. I, I'm saying all this this morning because I think 
All of us need a true friend. Everybody in here does. Everybody needs somebody to talk to. You're going to have difficulties in your marriage. You're going to have difficulties in your private life. You're going to have difficulties that you think are going to keep you from getting into the holy of holies and having the right relationship with God. You need a friend. I know it sounds corny, but Michael W. Smith had it right. A friend's a friend forever if the Lord's the Lord above. And a friend does not say never, right? Now, they don't, they don't click you off their Facebook page. They don't refuse to answer. They are not friends. They are either servants or hirelings. And you might not, if you don't have any evidence of them being a servant, I guarantee you they're a hireling. They will live their whole life that way because that's the way they want to live. I don't need relationships. I don't need you. I don't need anybody. Give me my wife and give me my kids and I'm good to go on my own. That's a lie. That is a lie. Everybody needs this. You still following me? Everybody needs that. Every single person in this room needs access to someone. I, I doubt whether most of us in the room, though, I doubt that most of us have anybody at that level. I want to I answer this question quickly before I read an illustration to you. But In the tabernacle and in the temple, there was a massive curtain. 60 feet curtain made of thick layers of fabric so that it couldn't easily be torn. And the Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross and it was actually finished, that the veil that divided these people from that was torn in two. But it didn't tear from the bottom up. Right? It tore from the top down where no one could reach it. God did it. He said, enough of this separation stuff. You are my friend. Woo! Hallelujah, that makes me want to jump up and down and shout and sing in tongues. I don't speak in tongues, but it makes me want to. Has that even gripped you? Easter is my favorite time of the year because we all get to resurrect just like Jesus did. Do you know Jesus is your Savior? You're out of here one day. He is coming to take us home to be with him. And so I, I am convinced that many people that I face, because I look at your faces every Sunday, of the 300 people sitting in this room, I look at your face and I can see some of you don't even have a clue. And you're actually wondering why you don't have that. Because you don't have a clue about what Jesus has done for you. You got something to be thankful for this morning? Oh, God, I have something to be thankful for. God, you are in control of everything. You tore the curtain. You tore the veil so I could have access to God. A true friend will always have access into your life. And it will take a long time to prove they're a true friend. A long time. Years. Now in closing, I read an illustration this week that made me very sad. It reminded me of my scenario, actually. A pastor pastored for 42 years, and at the end of his time, when he was in his 60s, a true story, someone, one, uh, another pastor in the community really thought that he should be out 
and he, this other pastor, should get to pastor that church. And so he talked to us, sent out about it and everything else. And they said, no, that guy's been pastoring for 40-some years. He's been very faithful. We, we're leaving him there. These are the last years of his life. And the other guy wanted to do or find anything he could to get him canned. And so when this pastor that had pastored all these years found out that his wife was actually dying and she was bedridden and would not live much longer, he became her servant every day. Every day he would have to take her to the shower. It reminds me so much of my father-in-law who every day Becky's mom uh, found out in her 40s that she had a brain tumor and, and it, affected, it paralyzed her. And I, I saw it. My, I saw my father-in-law. He took my mother-in-law bodily and picked her up and carried her in to the shower and put her on a chair and stood in the shower and, and washed her hair and washed her and everything else until she passed. Thank God for that kind of dedication and servanthood. A man that doesn't leave because the going gets tough. Amen? It stays by your side. Well, this pastor that I read the story about, 42 years of pastoring, his wife is dying. He became despondent. He had not smoked a cigarette, and if you're a Baptist, you don't smoke cigarettes. A lot of people in here are not Baptists. <clears throat> and I could care less if you smoke cigarettes. It doesn't affect me at all. Other than the fact I don't want to be a plane, on a plane with you or in a car with you because I hate the smell of cigarette smoke and I get a headache. That's another whole sermon. <laughs> well, we were in Vietnam. And we, you, you just got to be there. It's really, it's it's amazing place. We're walking down the street that is just covered with tourists and stuff. And we go in to eat at this place. And we sit at an outside table and they light up their cigarettes. And I'm like, Jesus. I looked over and I'm like, Get out of here. Okay, I've lost track. <laughs> Guy hadn't smoked a cigarette since he was 21 years old. He was despondent. He was downstairs or downtown. He went into a party store and bought a pack of cigarettes and took them out and lit up. That other pastor saw him do it. And contacted his synod and said he should be disqualified. Preachers don't smoke cigarettes. And they said, we have no evidence that he smokes just knock it off. So the pastor, the other pastor, took it upon himself to put his hunting camouflage on day after day and recorded with his video camera from the woods behind the pastor's house him smoking on his deck. You say, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. We are just like that. We look for validation on discrediting and disqualifying others and forget of the grace that God has rained down on us. Am I right? Who wants a bunch of hirelings in your life? Yes, servants are great, but all of us need a true.